you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking today at, actually, a discussion that Jesus had with His disciples and those that were gathered around Him shortly after where we were last week in our description, in our discussion. So last week we talked about Jesus gave us the terms and conditions for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And those terms and conditions included that we are to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, take up our cross daily, and to follow Him. And today we're going to talk about, well, what does that look like even more? What is the cost of that? He's going to have three encounters towards the end of the chapter of Luke chapter 9, where three people are going to come and find out some important realities about following Jesus. One of the things that we're going to talk about today is the excuses that we all make. Now, you've got a pretty good excuse for not being in church this morning, primarily because we're not there, but also because of the weather out there. And certain times of year, certain days, we experienced something a couple of years ago that we never imagined of shutting down the church to people coming in for a lengthy period of time. And those are, are, are good excuses. Um, People get excuses all the time for not being where they're supposed to be on time or not being where they're supposed to, to be or turn in what they're supposed to turn in or do the work they're supposed to do. I was reading this week that a study of business and industry across a wide spectrum discovered that excuses are basically the same everywhere you go. In fact, um, one HR department uh, referred and said that every boss has heard all of them. They did a survey in Career Builder of a thousand HR managers, and they found that most excuses are all the same all across the board. Fifty-one percent said that their most frequent excuse was traffic, and those of us that live in the Nashville area know that for sure. Thirty-one percent said oversleeping, and twenty-eight percent, like us today, is weather. But there are also some unique excuses. Bosses have heard things like, I was here on time, but I fell asleep in the parking lot. Or I couldn't wake up this morning because my fake eyelashes were stuck together. One wrote, this was their excuse, an astrologer warned me of a car accident that was going to happen on a major highway that I was traveling, so I took all the back roads today. And perhaps the most unique was somebody that came in and wrote, I had morning sickness today. A male employee wrote that. Now here's the thing. When we look at those excuses, there are many times in our lives when we have good excuses for not turning in something, for not being where we're supposed to be. But when it comes to following Jesus, there is no acceptable excuse, no acceptable compromise, and there's no acceptable half-heartedness in following Him. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, this is what it tells us. As they, that's Jesus and His disciples. By the way, just a note here, in just the verses right before this, in verse 51 in particular, it won't be on the screen, but in chapter 9, verse 51, if you've got your Bibles open there, your apps open, you can scroll up. And there in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days were coming to a close for Him to be taken up, or when His purpose was about to happen, He, that's Jesus, determined to journey to Jerusalem. Another translation of that says, He set His face towards Jerusalem. And I love that picture that He has turned towards them. 
Back down in verse 57. So as they're on their way to the place that Jesus has determined, to the point that he is moving towards in his ministry, someone, now we know from the book of Matthew that this someone was a scribe, a religious leader of some sort, said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own. You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now here's what's important to understand about this passage of Scripture. It is sandwiched in between two other portions of Scripture. Luke chapter 9 at the beginning is where he talks about this is what it is required to follow me as a disciple. This is what's required to be one of my followers. And when you get to Luke 10, the very next verse describes Jesus beginning to send out the disciples on their own to do his work, to accomplish the mission of God. And so he's basically saying the time is now. You're going to Follow me or you're going to walk away. This is not the time to kind of play around or think about some things first. Decision time is here because in the next verse he says, I'm sending you out. And in the midst of that, he's reminding them that when it comes to following Jesus, there is no room for excuse or compromise or half-heartedness. And there are really three questions that are asked of us in this passage. Three questions that we must deal with on a daily basis, on a regular basis, about whether or not we're going to follow Jesus with all that we have. And the first question comes right there with the man that walks up to him. And it is simply this. Will we choose comfort or discipleship? Will we choose our own comfort and security Or will we choose following Jesus? We talked about this a little bit last week, kind of the last in the middle of that time when we talked about take up your cross, that for the people of that time to hear the phrase take up your cross would have been a dead man walking, someone that was committed to following to the very end. What we have here with Jesus is this scribe, this teacher of the law coming up and saying, Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. Whatever you're asking of me, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Jesus just looks at him and says, I don't think you understand what you're saying. Remember, in the verses before this, Jesus said he had set his face towards Jerusalem. And just a reminder, what that meant is he had set his face to the cross. And this religious leader, this religious teacher, this scribe is saying, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want. And he says, I don't think you have any idea what that looks like. Your reputation is at stake. Your comfort is at stake. Your livelihood may be at stake. Your understanding of what makes a good life may be at stake. And he's calling this man. We don't, one of the interesting things about this is we don't know the response that any of these guys made to Jesus in that moment. And I think that's intentional. I, uh, 
recently finished a series of books by the author Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson is a singer-songwriter. He's also an author. It's a set of children's books kind of written in the vein of, of um, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. It's a book called The Wing Feather Saga. Highly recommend them. And Maddie had actually read the books before me, and she was reading a little ahead of me. And so as she got to the end of the fourth book, the last book, she came in and she said, you've got to read the book because I have to talk to somebody about how it ends. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. She goes, well, just, it, you have to. And so when I finished the book, I realized that the book ends on a cliffhanger and there's no fifth book. One of my favorite movies all time is a movie called Inception. And it's about a guy who's able to get into people's dreams and give them ideas in their dreams. And that particular movie, sorry to spoil a movie that's over 10 years old, but that particular movie at the end has a cliffhanger that leaves you with an interpretation about what's happening there. And I think the reason that the story in the Bible that we have here doesn't give us a firm answer on what these three individuals did in following Jesus is because he wants us to ask ourselves these questions and whether we are willing to answer yes to Jesus in the midst of it. I mentioned in the next chapter he sends them out. He sends out the 72 and he tells us in that that what he's going to do in verse 3 of chapter 10 is he's sending them out like lambs among the wolves. He basically says, you're not ready for what's about to happen, but it's time to go. And a little bit later, he's going to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan talks about that in order to follow Jesus, think of the needs of others. We must look at the needs of others. We must think about what they need, even if it means sacrificing our own comfort, our own money, our own finances. He'll culminate this kind of section of teaching with a parable about the Pharisees who said are a rich man. And he tells this story to the Pharisees who loved their money, it basically says. And explained away why they had so much of it. And these are religious people that loved their wealth. And he tells the story of a rich man who goes to hell and Lazarus who does not. And how when he got to hell, none of that mattered anymore. And the point Jesus is making is, if you care only about the comfort of your bank account and of your house and of where you live and of your security of your family in this earth, that when it comes that time and your life is over, you will have spent your life for nothing. Will we choose comfort or will we choose discipleship? The man came and says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he seems enthusiastic. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking. Because the foxes, they have dens, the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Second question that we must ask ourselves, the second that must be on our minds is this. Not only will we choose comfort over to discipleship, but secondly, will we settle for maintenance or sacrifice for mission? I just want to be real honest about these questions and the people that come. This middle one is the one that's the hardest for me to understand. Verse 59, you see in verse 57, a man came to him. In verse 59, 
he goes to the man and says to him what he did to all of his disciples, it says in Scripture, basically is just follow me, just come after me. It would have been common in that day and time, especially for teachers of the law, for scribes, for those that were writers, for those that were learners, those who were looking for something in life, their direction in life, they would have latched onto a teacher and they would have gone with him. And so when Jesus is saying, follow me, he didn't know what that means. That means become my disciple, become a learner, become my student. And he says to this guy, follow me. And the guy looks at him and says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Now, scholars debate all along about what is the status of the father in this story. Has he already passed away recently and he hasn't been buried yet? And the guy's saying, listen, my dad just died. Let me go take care of him real quickly and then I'll come back and I'll follow you. Or... On that day and time, it was rare if your dad had died to go anywhere else. And so there's a good chance that his dad was still alive. Maybe he was on his deathbed. Maybe he had five years left. And maybe he's saying, listen, I've got obligations that I have to take care of first with my dad, whether that's in a week or six weeks or two years or five years. And let me take care of those obligations. And when I get those obligations taken care of, then I will come and follow you. Jesus' response, regardless, seems harsh. And just to be honest, it is. Verse 60, he says, Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. He says, You may have real obligations in your life, but ask yourself the question, what's more important? The material and physical and temporal obligations I have or the eternal mission that I've been given? He basically looks at this guy, and again, I don't know whether the guy's dad had just died, was about to die, or had years left. I don't think it really matters. Jesus basically says... My mission has to be the overall number one priority of your life. Now, when we think about that with everything else we've got going on, I mean, I have a family that I love dearly. I love my job, even though it's in the church. Sometimes it's a separate kind of thing from my own personal devotion to the mission of God. You would hope that everything I do here is for the mission of God, but the reality is sometimes distractions even come in this place. I love my community. I love being involved in in different activities outside of that. I love sports. I love good movies. I love entertainment, good music. He's not saying that any of that in and of itself is bad. But when any of that takes precedence over the mission that God has given you in your life, then you have made a wrong choice. And you have misplaced priorities. He speaks here to what seems like an absolute obligation that we ought to take care of. The point, as I read some commentaries this week made, is but there are certain times in our lives when we realize that what we're doing at that moment precludes us from doing our normal activities or what we normally do. I think back over the last two years and the number of funerals that I've attended or participated in or led that were different because we couldn't do them as we normally did. And people understood why others didn't come or people didn't come in for funerals or didn't have what they normally did. 
At certain times, situations change what we're doing. I think about people that are off at war, that are serving our country, or in, in battled in other places, that aren't able just to come home whenever they want to because of that. And sometimes the mission of our lives in that moment supersedes what would be normal life, if you will. And Jesus says, there's nothing more important in your life than the mission on which I have called you. Now again, this is right before he's about to send 72 people out. He's at the moment of, I'm about to start sending people out. You don't have time to go home to bury your dad because you've got to get out here and do the mission of God that you called to. You have to think about that these would not have been separated in the original language. It's all been one flowing narrative. And so it would have gone from that to, and then Jesus called his disciples and says, now it's time to go out. So he's saying to them, you don't have time to waver on your decision or take care of those things because the kingdom of God is here and it takes precedence now. None of us know how much time we have left at all. It could be years. It could be months, it could be days, or it could be hours. One of the things that I think the American church is guilty of at every stage of the last 30 to 40 years is we have forgotten the urgency of the mission to which God has called us. We have become satisfied and set in who we are and what we do, and we have forgotten the mission that we've been called to. And to do the mission God has called us to do will require sacrifice. It will require change. It will require us moving in the direction that God has called us to. It will mean leaving some things behind. It will mean discarding certain areas or aspects or relationships in our lives in order to serve the mission that God has called us to. Will we Settle for maintenance or sacrifice for mission. And then here's the last question and then we're done. Three questions. Will we choose comfort over discipleship? Will we settle for maintenance or will we sacrifice for mission? Or the third question is this. Will our lives be marked by indecisive minds or undivided hearts? Verse 61 says this. And another, another came up to him and said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is an agricultural picture, obviously, but the idea is that when you put your hands to the plow, you are about the work that you're going to do and you're going to go straight down a row. But if you're looking around and trying to figure out what's behind you or around you or what else may be going on, you will never be able to plow straight. The best idea that I can have for us in a modern understanding of this is no one drives distractedly when they're on mission for Jesus. And I don't mean in the physical terms, but you understand what I mean by distracted driving. Texting, entertainment stuff coming in, things happening, your watch buzzing, radio not working. When I was growing up, all you had to worry about was whether the tape was on the song you had and the radio dial was where it needed to be. Today, we got gadgets and gizmos going on all over. We got heads up displays and arm, things on our arms and people are distracted all the time. You can see it driving down the road sometimes and 
I would dare say most of us watching today, most of us have at some point been guilty of being distracted while driving because of things that are going on. And Jesus says that is a recipe for disaster. And to follow Jesus, you can't follow in a distracted manner. It is all or nothing. Some of the earliest missionaries, several years ago, we did a a series of messages here called All In. And I'll never forget that series because the first week, some of you may have been here, remember this, the first week I had a funeral home come and place a casket at the front of this stage with it open. People were a little concerned when they walked in on Sunday morning, what's going on? Now, I didn't crawl into it or anything like that, but I told the story of some of the first missionaries in America. Who, when they got ready, we we think about missionary trips today, there would have never been something like a week-long missionary trip to Brazil, you know, 70, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, because it took forever to get there. So when people were going to missions all over the world, some of the first missionaries from America would pack all of their stuff in a coffin made for them. And they would carry that coffin with them. And the symbolism and the reality was is they were going to follow Jesus and they would until the day they died. And they were going to die wherever he sent them. I think about Elisha the prophet. When Elijah basically calls him to be his successor. Elisha's Got the oxen out in the field. They're plowing. I think about this plowing moment. You know, and for him, it was to stop that plowing. That's one of my favorite pictures in all of Scripture. Elisha, when he decided to follow the Lord, it says that he wanted everybody in the community to know it, so he threw a barbecue. Now, I love that because when I was growing up, my family threw barbecues, 4th of July, 60, 70, 80 people in our house, and we lived in a really small house. Dad would cook... Four or five whole shoulders, 40 pounds of ribs, barbecue bologna, whole block would be cut off. We had superintendent of schools and judges and radiologists and my parents who were just factory workers would host it and we would have a great time. And it, it tells us in the book, uh, in the Bible, that when Elisha was called to serve the Lord, he threw that kind of barbecue. Whole town come, let's all have a party, it's great. But here's what I love about it. What he used to fuel the barbecue was the plow that he had used to make a living. And the barbecue for that week was the oxen that were his team that worked the fields. It's hard to imagine a more committed symbolic act than to burn the plows to cook the oxen. That's how you made your living because you're leaving it behind to follow the Lord. What do you need to get rid of? What sins in your life do you need to cast off? What good things are weighing you down? What do you need to get rid of to follow the Lord? Three questions for you this week. For us as a church, will we choose comfort or will we choose to be disciples? Will we choose to settle for maintenance or will we sacrifice for mission? And will our lives be marked by indecisiveness, indecisive minds, or by undivided hearts completely sold out to Him? 
Our church purpose statement is that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ choose the cross over comfort, discipleship over ease. They choose the mission of God over the maintenance of everyday status quo life. And they choose to live passionately devoted, single-mindedly devoted, instead of living with divided attention. What will we choose in 2022? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to simply repent and choose to follow you. And I, Lord, I know that many today that are listening to me are already your followers, but Lord, there are so many areas of our lives that sometimes we begin to compromise and settle in and allow ourselves to do things that are not in step with what you've called us to do. And Lord, we pray that in those parts of our lives that we would surrender them to you, that we would choose discipleship over our own comfort. Lord, we know that many times in our lives we allow the distractions and the things of our lives to distract us from doing your mission, your calling, to the ends of the earth, making disciples. And Lord, we pray and confess those to you today and ask that you would remove them from our lives. And Lord, we know that many times it feels like our hearts are divided because of all of the things that are begging for attention. But Lord, we pray that we would have a single-minded devotion to you. That as we turn our eyes on you, that everything else just fades away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.